The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. I was searching for a topic of one of my missing parshas, which is the portion in Exodus of called Bo, portion where it actually is the portion of the end of the ten plagues and the Exodus. So. And it actually was very re relevant to this week's portion and also to current events um, taking place in some parts of the United States. So um, what's fascinating is, as we'll see, we, we, I found a, seemed to be, to me, maybe found the source of the Torah for the concept of reparations for slavery um, and also for um, maybe even a certain defense in looting. Um, so, so we're going we're gonna to try to explore that. I, I don't know the answer. This is all, it's all new to me. Um, I found some sources, but it, there's nothing really written on it. I couldn't find any other, um, anything that's written on in contemporary times, really. So, but let's see what, so what I found was like this. Um, first of all, obviously the issue of reparations is not just relevant to slavery. As we know, the German government pays they offered to pay reparations to the Israeli government. And I have it here in the year 1952. I looked that up. Um, to negotiate with the Israeli government, paying reparations for survivors and families of survivors of the Holocaust. And um, even at a certain point, it became not just to the government, but personal people got paid um, from the German government. Survivors of the Shoah were paid. My father actually was a survivor. He, he used to get a monthly check from the German government. I don't know if your parents uh, never mentioned that. it. Never mentioned they, it. They never. You never. You never checked your mail. The envelopes coming. I don't think they did. Um, never said a word about it. Right. So many people, on principle, and this is something we're going to discuss, did not refuse to take the checks. Viewed it as blood money, and this was actually I didn't know this. There's a major debate within the Israeli government when it. When Germany in 1951 offered to negotiate with Israel, so there was a major split in the government. I, I just listened last night. I was I was looking for something on this topic, so I put in reparations, um, you know, uh, Holocaust, and I actually did a historical class that spoke about this. I didn't know this information. There was a major fight in the Israeli government, a major split. Menachem Begin at the time refused. He said it was blood money. I actually listened to a speech of his last night in Hebrew. Where he said it's blood money, we refuse to take it. You know, it's just appeasing the Germans to make them feel good for what they did. Um, so much so, but it did come to a vote in 1952, as you see here. It was 61 to 50 in the Knesset. The Knesset approved negotiating with Germany, and it was it got literally got violent. There was this guy said this last night that there was there was people caught. They wanted to blow up the Knesset. That's how bad um, the split was. The Irgun and, and different factions. Um, within Israel at the time. Menachem Begin at the time was banned from the Knesset for five months because of his violent reaction to the to this vote. Um, and they received, the Israeli government at the time, after, negotia after negotiations, received $1.5 billion. This is in 1952. So I don't know what that is in current terms, but that sounds like a lot of money to me. Um, it was approximately $3,000 per survivor. Um, that's how much they were, the German government paid. At the time, it was also specifically paid for, um, like I said, for the government. At a later point, I don't remember what year that was, a few years later, a year later, 
individuals started receiving money. So there was the money really, all the money, this 1.5 billion went to the Israeli government, not to, to the survivors. Like sorry or bad? Right. Okay. Um, so what's interesting was, uh, so he, someone told me, I was telling someone this morning about this, so he said that, when I was reading that the kibbutz movement almost, almost fell apart. This was the beginning of the kibbutz movement, and they almost fell apart because of this, because as we know, the concept of the kibbutz was it's socialist. Everyone basically gives all your money. It's, run, it's like a socialist commune. So you give all your money to the kibbutz, owns everything. You, don't, you can't have anything personal. But when this happened, and survivors were offered money from the German government, so people said they want to keep their money. And the kibbutz movement said, no, you can't keep the money, the money goes to us. So it was a big fight. A lot of people, um, a lot of survivors said they're leaving the kibbutz. And there was literally hundreds of thousands of survivors who were living on kibbutzim. And they said, if you don't allow us to keep the money, we're going to leave the kibbutz. It was a big, it was, I never knew this recent history, but this uh, fascinating history about uh, this fight of preparation from the German government. So we'll get back to that um, soon. But, so they found, what I found was fascinatingly in the Torah itself, so at the end of the Exodus, and I didn't bring my chumash, so it's okay. Wait, did the Kibbutim allow them to keep the money so then? At the end they did, because there was, there was literally a threat to, they would lose half their members, mm-hmm. or a large amount of their members. So they, so they ended up allowing the people to keep their money. Um, so, so now getting to the Torah, so in the Torah itself you find in Parshabo, in the Exodus, so after the ninth plague was the plague of darkness. Okay, and immediately after the plague of darkness, um, God tells Moshe, and this is what I quote here, chapter 11 in Exodus, he says, please, daber uh, I'm speaking to the heirs, please speak to the heirs of the people. And each man from his friend, and each woman from her friend shall borrow um, silver and golden vessels. A very strange request. God tells Moshe that the Jews, he knew the, uh, the Exodus was about to happen. They're going to leave Egypt. They were slaves there for 210 years. So he tells them, get, before you leave, make sure they all get um, silver and gold vessels from the Egyptians, that they should borrow them, which seems very strange because, first of all, a few questions here. One is, the, la- the language is Dabarna. God is, please, it's, it's a language of pleading. Seems like the Jews didn't want to do it, and God told them that they have to do it. That's number one. Number two is, is sort of it's a subterfuge. He's saying borrow it. They knew they weren't going to be coming back to Egypt, so they're borrowing it. And they're taking it, taking the gold and silver under the pretense of borrowing it, um, knowing full well that they're not going to return it. So they're sort of tricking. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of unethical uh, things taking place here. Okay, and and the second quote is from the next chapter when they actually do leave. So the Torah does say they actually did it. It says. Um, Bnei Yisrael asu kidvar Moshe. In the next chapter, says the children of Israel did according to Moses' order. They borrowed from the Egyptians silver objects and golden objects, usmalot and garments. Hashem natan atchen v'aham, and the Lord gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Vayishalum, and they they lent it to them. Vayinatzlus mitzrim, and it says they emptied out Egypt. Basically, they took everything the Egyptians owned. Prior to them leaving, they took they basically took everything. Now again, it sounds like it was borrowed, um, wasn't taken against their will. We have to see how that happened. But uh, so there are obviously many questions to deal with here. Um, one is so I put down a few questions. So, so again, there's a lot of uh, lot going on here. It's not clear what was the purpose of this, and why are they doing this. Um, I forgot a key thing here. Um, 
I didn't put that in the Gemara, but, but uh, the, the question is what's going on here exactly? Why is God basically forcing the Jews to take stuff from the Egyptians prior to the exodus, to them leaving? Okay, so that's I put down the questions here. What was the nature of this request? Did the Egyptians intend these objects to be a gift or a loan? Well, clearly, the language of the Torah seems to be saying borrow, it's a loan. Um, if they were a gift, why would the Egyptians give valuable presents to their despised slaves? If they were a loan, how could Hashem command the Israelites to deliberately mislead the Egyptians to thinking the objects would be returned? Um, was it enough theft for the Israelites to ultimately keep these items? Right? So if eventually they knew they're leaving with them, they asked them to borrow it, so they're basically stealing them. Okay, why would Hashem issue such a command if He merely wanted to enrich the children of Israel? Could He not have done so without resorting to deceiving or despoiling the Egyptians? Um, so the, so the, I, I forgot a key quote here, I realized I was reading it. Um, so the Talmud in Tractate Brachot, which is not a Mushit, says that gives you some of the background of the story here. It says that the Jews did not want to do this, but it says God had promised Abraham um, way back when, this is again to approximately uh, 300 years, or almost 400 years before the Exodus. God told Abraham that your children will be enslaved in Egypt, but they will leave they'll leave with, with a major amount of wealth. They'll eventually get out of Egypt and they'll amass a, ma a major amount of wealth. So that was God's promise to Abraham. So says the Talmud, that's, what God, that's why God is telling the Jews they have to do this, because he had promised Abraham that they're going to leave with wealth, and if they just leave by themselves, without, you know, even if they're free to slaves, which in itself was miraculous, but just to leave without any wealth, he wouldn't have, he would have been negligent on his promise to Abraham. Sort of, and, and Rashi points out here, commentator on the Chumash points out that um, the Jews were saying, listen, we, we just want to get the heck out of here. It's like a prison. You can tell the prison, you know, you know, you can get released from prison today, but, you know, wait around a while because, you know, we want you, we want to give you a nice Armani suit when you get out of prison. Guys gonna say no. I want to get out today without nothing. I'd rather leave right now. And that was a Jew's frame of mind. They were, in, they were enslaved there. They said, "We just want to leave. You know, forget the wealth. We're very happy without the wealth." Um, but God insisted, and that's what it says. He pleaded, told Moses, "Plead with them to take to take it because he had to keep his promise to Abraham." Very strange going on. So even that doesn't really answer the question. So he could have gave them wealth in a different way. What, what exactly is going on here? So um, more so. Miss, missing something else. Disjointed today. So what, another thing is, um, just so now, in a certain sense, so as we'll see, there are different opinions as to what was going on here. Is it reparations for their slavery? Is it do they have a right to take it? Did they well, did they have a right to the money? Did they not? Um, so, but just before that, turn. Let's skip down to number six here. So Rabbi Hirsch. He says on his commentary on the Chumash, he says an unbelievable thing. Because the question is, again, we're trying to connect it to contemporary issues of looting, contemporary times. So he says an unbelievable thing here. He says, beautiful concept, he says that this, was, this occurred right after the plague of darkness. Why did, why did this statement that Hashem tells them to go take the stuff right after the plague of darkness? So Rashi explains, because during the plague of darkness, um, the Jews were, the, it says it was so dark, the Egyptians were literally stuck in their place. It says, They were able to feel the darkness. They explained that it literally was so thick. It's like a thick fog that they were, they were stuck. They, they, were, they couldn't move anywhere. They, not just, it wasn't just dark. It was literally a darkness that was, kept them, uh, paralyzed them, so to speak. Okay, so, so it says, but the Jews didn't have this darkness. So 
during that time, they would go. They could have done anything they want. They could have gone to the Egyptians' home, stolen stuff. They could have done anything they want. And they also says God told them, go in and check it out. You can see because usually when you ask to borrow something from someone, when you ask someone to borrow hundred bucks, they say, oh, I'm out of cash. Right? It's like the homeless guy in the corner. When he asks, right, you always never have cash with you. Right? So, so this way, the point was that they went into their houses during the time of darkness, and the Egyptians couldn't use it as an excuse, they don't have. And they would ask to borrow the gold and silver, they, they had seen everything in the Egyptians' homes. And therefore, they couldn't have an excuse, oh, we don't have this, we don't have any gold, we don't have any silver. So Rabbi Hirsch explains an unbelievable thing. He says, if you look at number six, he says, um, na, he says, the language of na in the verse, which is the Hebrew word, which means, uh, they translate it as please, but it's a language of pleading, number six in the bottom on the right side, says, always implies reluctance on the part of the person addressed. The people had just proven their more worth in their most brilliant manner. He says, for three days, their oppressors blinded and rooted to the spot by darkness had been completely at their mercy. So turn to the back. For three days, all of the Egyptians had lain unprotected in their homes, but no Jew took advantage of this opportunity for revenge. So here we are, they're slaves in the land of Egypt. Right? There's this plague of darkness for three days straight. No one could move. No Jew touched an Egyptian or even at the least of, uh, least of his possessions. So not only did they not do anything to the Egyptians, they didn't take anything, they could have stolen anything from their homes, they didn't touch anything. So at this moment, when sight was restored to the Egyptians, and they found all their possessions intact where they had left them, that God caused the Egyptians to comprehend the moral greatness of the people. So until now, they always looked at the Jews as a despised people, you know, they were slaves, but at this point, they realized the, at least the moral integrity of these people, that for three days they could have done anything, but they didn't touch anything. Um, this realization at last overcame the antipathy the Egyptians had felt for the Jews. And more than all the miracles he had performed, the moral greatness of his people made the man Moshe much esteem in the eyes of the Egyptians. So just the, the beautiful concept of, again, the Jews could have touched anything, but they didn't, they could have taken anything, but they didn't touch anything. Just to compare that today with what happens in, in our cultures, when there's a, any opportunity to, to, you know, to take something, any excuse, people jump at it. I remember after Katrina, they had video in New Orleans of police officers in uniform, like walking out of Walmart with TVs. It's like unbelievable. Like they had, like they had them on video. I don't know if they ever prosecuted. This is like law enforcement basically walking out of Walmart together with the crowd, taking, you know, with big screen TVs. It's like unbelievable. Right, so all the power was out for two weeks, whatever it was. So, so. Uh, so just to compare, unfortunately, what happens when, when we have uh, a breakdown in our society, as we saw over the past few weeks, people take, uh, use it as an opportunity to, to loot and to uh, just anarchy, to, take, to do whatever they want. Here, so you had three days where the Jews did not touch anything. So he says, and that's really, that's what so impressed the Egyptians. He goes on to say that, that they actually gave them, they were so impressed with their integrity and they realized um, the high level morality of the people that they actually gifted them um, many of the stuff. That's how he understands it. But as we'll see, it's not so simple. So what's even more fascinating is a, there's a founder in the Talmud and there's another Medrash that explains that in some point of history during Alexander the Great, I don't know when, what the year he lived, there were no history, when Alexander the Great lived, um, someone can Google it, I don't know when he lived, but um, he, uh, during the time of his rule, it says there was a court case, the Egyptian he ruled over, over 
most of the Middle East at the time, most of civilization, and he ruled over Egypt, and the Egyptian people came to him with a claim against the Jews, saying that the Jews owe us money for all the stuff they stole from us when they left Egypt, and the proof is in their, in their own Torah. Their own Torah says they left Rechosh Kadal, they took the gold and silver of all the Egyptians. So they took them to trial. They said, we want to take the Jewish nation to trial, and they have to pay us reparations for what they stole. Um, with interest. 300 BC. You look it up? 300 BC. Okay. Um, um, so, so they actually, so the Talmud says, there's two versions I found. The Talmud says that uh, this guy, I mean, they're both more or less similar versions, so I'll read it to you here. Number five, it says, in the days of Alexander the Macedonian, known as, otherwise known as Alexander the Great, the Egyptians came to contest the Jewish looting from their own Torah, meaning with proof from their own Torah. The 600,000 Israelites departed from us carrying silver utensils and gold utensils as it is written. So they emptied Egypt, the verses we just read. So their claim was the Jewish nation, we want our money back. They should give us back our silver, uh, back our gold. So typo there. So it says, Gibeah ben Kosen said to Alexander, my master, my king, meaning so, so it, the Talmud says the story is some guy, Jewish attorney, right, got up and said, um, let me be the attorney, meaning it's better than a rabbi or a leader representing the Jewish people because if I mess up, he said, so you'll just say it's some, uh, some guy messed up. You know, he wasn't really representing us. But if a leader goes, so, he, so this guy represented the Jewish people at this trial and he, in front of Alexander. So he said, he said to Alexander, my master, my king, 600,000 people performed work for them, right? There were six, it says when they left the Exodus, there were 600,000 adult males between the ages of 20 and 60 who were slaves. The, the women were not slaves. Um, it was only the males. Um, I don't know if it was only the adult males, but um, so he said there were 600,000 slaves performed work for them for 210 years. That's how long the Jews were in Egypt till the exile, till the Exodus. So he says among them there were silversmiths and goldsmiths who deserved to take at least a dinar a day. So he says if you crunch the numbers, you do the math. 210 years of slave labor of these people to determine legitimacy. Um, so it says they actually the. Alexander's uh, accountants were probably Jewish also um, calculated the amount the Egyptians owed the Jews so it says they were they were only up to 100 years again it was 210 years of slavery they got up to 100 years of slavery before it was determined that the entire land of Egypt of, of that time should belong to the Jews meaning the amount they, the Jews were owed for reparations for their slavery um, of only after 100 years of working would amount to the entire land of Egypt Basically, so he said, so they have no claim against it. So you're right, we might have taken some gold and silver, but we basically should get the whole country for <coughs> amount of work. Okay, so fascinating story, which, again, seems to imply that the concept of reparations for slavery, at least according to the Talmud, was is a, something that's, that's worth looking into. Um, at least that was their claim here. He's saying the Jews' claim were, and the question is, one can argue, that this was just a counter-argument you know, because of the trial, but do we really believe in this concept of reparations or not? That's debatable, it's not clear, but, but on the surface it surely would seem that, uh, that we do believe in this concept. So it's the same rabbi, yes. by that thinking, that making an argument in favor of looting. Yes, Because the analogy is... In a certain sense, we, we have permission. We, we our forefathers, in some form or fashion, kept slaves for a hundred years, 
twenty ten years, yeah. Well, right. I'm talking about here at Barrett. Yeah, okay. Oh, oh, you mean the four fires? I'm talking yes. about the looting here. Yes. And how, it's a pretty modest repayment to have a big screen TV. When that's you've true. Been Everything in, is relative. Right? That's, that's my point. When exactly. you've been in chains for 100 years. 100%. So that's exactly what I'm that's getting at. That's my point. So what I said is... It doesn't seem so from his little... From his uh, yeah, saying down at the bottom suggests a little bit of judgment, but so we'll just go with the facts. Right, the facts so are so the pretty point analogous. Is, to oh, so that is my point. When I when I started, again, this is all new to me. I just started this on, first time I read this was on Shabbos, and uh, Saturday afternoon, I said, wow, this is amazing. This is stuff, this is basically saying, and maybe they have a right to loot. That's exactly what my thoughts were. Clearly reparations, according to this, this Medrash and the Gemara, seem to be in order. That is, Someone was was enslaved. They have a right to reparations. That's number one. Again, the only argument get, the only argument I have against that would be to say that they, this was just his defense at the trial, but it really wasn't what we really believe. But but on the surface, clearly it would seem. And um, that's why I'm interested in the words. Because I mean, words? And, th and that, like he says, borrow. All right. So we'll get to I mean, so we'll get to the words. Yes, that's important. But uh, but but David's point that I thought the same thing. It's 100 percent valid. Maybe even. Once, once I have an obligation of reparations, I mean, in a certain sense, you take even the Jewish people at, on the surface, God told them to do it, but they were looting, in essence. If you don't, if, if, if they were, it was a subterfuge, and they're telling the Egyptians, lend us your gold and silver, knowing full well that they're going to leave and never bring it back, okay, and it was a trick. So in essence, I mean, that's illegal. I, I, listen, maybe it's a little higher level than looting, but breaking windows and, and stealing big screen TVs, but in essence, it wasn't so much different. So I agree with David on the surface. That's what it would seem like, that this would be a, I don't know what the right word is, a defense, a, I don't know, condoning even of they might have a right to, 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 to looting. Maybe. So, okay, and then the other thing, okay, I'm, I'm with you on that, but who, who gets retro? Who gets the retribution? Do you have to be a slave? Reparation. Reparation, sorry. Do you have um, to be a slave? Can you be... Uh, so that's a good question. So, so that is a good point. I mean, I thought about that. That in Egypt, it is somewhat different because the actual people who were enslaved are the ones um, who are getting the, the big screen TVs. So it wasn't, you know, their great-grandchildren. It was them themselves. So that the reparations, well... well the reparations the and meaning what, what if, assuming we look at it as reparations, what they were taking from them, the gold and silver. So it was the actual slaves themselves. So that would be, one can argue, also <coughs> the difference. Meaning it's different than saying, you know, six generations ago... But you, know, you could this, argue that the people this who are doing the load, looting are living in a system built uh, I, I, to, dis to disadvantage them. Well, that's a good question. Well, I would, I would, I would jump over that. No, I would jump over that. These are the descendants and immediate descendants, descendants of segregation. They so are the current the, They are the current people, not of the system. I grew up... Of racism. I grew up... Racism is pejorative. I grew up in pure segregation here in, in Houston, Texas. Separate schools, separate water fountains, couldn't go to the bathroom. I remember it. Yeah, so we're not talking 150 yeah, but years again, ago. Yeah, but again, first of all, it's very different than slavery. I mean, you know, the question is, well, is there ask, ask the people who right. were educated <laughs> in those schools who couldn't use the bathroom. Or couldn't vote. 
Yes, it, yeah, it's, no, it's, I'm on, not it's on a gradient. It's a terrible thing. There's it's no question. In, it's not in chains. Right, but, you but can't, you, I'm saying is you can't compare that to slavery. It's a terrible atrocity. No question. I'm saying, I don't know if you can compare that, but, but the point it's is... It's on a gradient. It's still the, the people in Ferguson who are walking out with the, the liquor store. Yeah, and they, they weren't. They might not have experience. You're right. Their parents might not. Their grandparents. But, but we're talking and that, about... And then you have Mallory's issue, which We're is talking racist. about reparations. Reparations, so doesn't have to be for slavery. You're right. drawing a lesson here. Right. You get reparations for damages. The damages were... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying not, specifically I'm slavery. The 1850s. I'm, I'm going to the 1960s. I don't understand why you would have to go to the 1960s. You have the kids in Ferguson in crappier schools, and so the damages are there now. The damage yeah, is there now that, that you could get reparations. For. I think that's arguable. Yeah, that, that's that's very not arguable. arguable. We're not gonna we're not gonna go there. To, that's a separate I issue. We, that, we gave a class on racism. That, <coughs> that's a different issue. Um, the question is again. So re reparations, just like put it in the dictionary from the dictionary to make sure we know the exact. Uh, definition it says making amends for a wrong one is done by paying money to or otherwise helping those who have been wrong. So it's not limited to slavery, that's true. My analogy is that you specifically see reparations for slavery in the Torah, according to this on the surface of this. So that so specifically I was addressing slavery. You you wanna you can, I mean technically make the argument to other forms of reparations. But I, I was my analogy was specifically to slavery, which even that alone is a big debate in American society today about, um, you know, as it, whether it's Indians or the Indians also get a certain form of reparations, which is they get Casinos. free, right, free tax-free gambling and peyote and whatever. We do have a sort of reparations now, which would be affirmative action. That is a reparation towards a community that has Maybe. has That's also debatable. Yeah, no, that's so debatable. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not debatable. Is <laughs> that is? I don't know if you'd call that reparations because they specifically are translated made money monetary. Right. That's that right. No, it says yeah. the making of amends. Oh, by no, paying, by paying money. money. Right. So yeah. Or that to might be otherwise helping. Okay. Those. Yes. But as far as the slavery analogy goes, I, 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 I would think that that would. I don't want to use necessarily use the word justify, but I think there is definitely a claim then for the however it would work for North America, for the blacks that were enslaved, somehow that I would right, say that that's the, right, right on... You see a concept of yes. liberations. Yeah, that's right. my point, which I was shocked by. I've never known this before. I, I'm, told, almost, I'm told kind of shocked by it too, but I, I, it's so, there, and that's, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> we're, not, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. we still got some time. So, so, uh, so again, now there's, there's two parts. So where am I going with this? Okay, so, so, so again, the question now becomes, was there subterfuge here? Was God trying to trick, like, you know, were they stealing it? How, what, in what way did they receive this gold and silver? Because obviously that's going to be important. Was it reparations? Was it stolen? Was it looting? You know, there's many ways of, of viewing what happened. We don't know. The story doesn't give you the details. How exactly, <coughs> it says they, the wording is borrowed. What exactly happened? So I found, so, so if you look at the back, I actually put down many options. In, it's amazing how, you know, it says there, for every verse in the Torah, there are 90, no, 70 interpretations. There's a, Talmud says in a place that every verse in the Torah has 70 interpretations, and they're all correct. And they're all right. Okay, so, so I found here, I didn't find 70, but, but uh, if you look at the back, so I found, as we'll see, various different ways of understanding what was going on here. One is gifts, friendship, fear, 
reparations, property swap, loans, spoils of war, or no need to justify. We'll, we'll discuss some of them. So this is a, a book, it's a one, one volume of a two volume set on a commentary on the Torah written by someone um, who was known as Rabbeinu Bachia or Rabbeinu Bachaya. I believe he lived in 1100 Spain. That's my educated guess, but I really have no idea. Um, anyway, his, so in his commentary on the Torah, he addresses this, um, and he says, he, he asks this question, he says, what was, like, God was, he's saying it was unethical here. God was telling them to trick the Egyptians. He says, so he starts off saying, the language of Shaul, Sheila, which is the Hebrew word for borrowing, which the Torah uses here, Yishalu, they borrowed from their friend. He says, it can't mean borrowing. He says, I'll read the Hebrew to translate and translate. This borrow, this language of borrowing here is, is not kishela amura bikelem. It's not like borrowing vessels or other things we find in, in other places. That's um, borrowing it with the concept of returning. Borrowing means you, I take, I borrow you more and more, and uh, I, you let, and I give it back to you. Eletziva, it was a commandment. The Jews were commanded by God to ask for them as a gift. He says that's what it is. I have to say it means that here, right? Kadosh Baruch Hu, um, he says, and that's what the next verse says, that God gave, uh, um, says, the Lord gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians wanted to give it to them. It was part of the, God caused them to want it. He says, um, this is not tricking a subterfuge, as we discussed many times, which is also prohibited to, to, to trick someone's mind, to trick them even with words. You're saying, I'm going to borrow it, and then you don't return. He says, that, he said, God forbid to say that here. To say that, that that was God, God was telling to do a subterfuge. Well, was permitted to them. Says why? Shaharei says it straight out. says the work that they were enslaved, that they did for the Egyptians, There's no worth. You can't compare the um, the amount they were owed by their work. The amount they, that uh, he says it was it was uh, a number. You can't even place a number on the amount of work they performed for the Egyptians. Well, and he says there's also there's a there's actually the Torah talks about slavery and that's a whole different topic um, what Torah slavery is but there's a, a topic when you release your slave the Torah says you have to gift them you're supposed to give them gifts when they leave um, and he discusses that so he says basically he says that what that's what was happening here he clearly says it was reparations for their 210 years of work um, and it, there was no subterfuge um, because they had every right and the Egyptians understood that, and they were basically the Egyptians agreed to pay the Jews reparations. That's how he understands. Okay, um, so that's that would be D. Skip down to D on the back. Okay, but um, as I found others, uh, first of all, the first one I wrote was gifts. It's very interesting. I, I actually wanted to bring my copy of Josephus. Josephus. Josephus describes this in his in his book describes this, and this is a quote from him, he says, the Egyptians bestowed gifts upon them when the Jews were leaving Egypt, this is how he describes it, bestowed gifts upon them so they would hasten to leave and they accepted those gifts as a show of neighborliness. So he's saying that actually the Egyptians, they, they just want them out of there and they gave them, you know, take our stuff, just leave as quick as possible. After, because first of all, they were so sick of them with the plagues and stuff. So that's how he understood, that's how, I don't know if he's just saying this to placate history or to make the Jews look good. I don't know, and I can't talk for Josephus, but he clearly describes it as the Egyptians bestowed gifts. So he's not understanding that the Jews took it, but the Egyptians actually gave them gifts. So according to that, um, again, 
you could view those gifts as reparations or not. I mean, either way. The reparations concept is still there. The question is looting. According to both these things we're saying, you, you wouldn't see any, any allowance for looting. You'd see allowance for reparations, but not for looting. Because they're so not taking it against the so will of the no Egyptians. no looting, but we send them the ten plagues and kill them the first one. Oh, so that's it's fine. a pretty that's fine God. line <laughs> between, oh, you know, looting's no good. Killing. But killing all their firstborn no, so they and first selling the locusts, <laughs> setting the locusts up. That's all okay. But breaking the glass and getting the shit, that's no. bad. But <laughs> Eleven's coming. No, so first of all, we're not discussing what God, God listened to form miracles to get the Jews out of Egypt. We're discussing the, specifically the monetary aspect. Did they have a right to take gold and silver? Or against the will? Was it against the will of the Egyptians? The Egyptians gave it them willingly. So that's that's what I'm focusing on. Listen, the, as far as the plagues, but, but, but you are we're not, we're not discussing God. No, no, so no that's God. Then, then, then you get to the looting. So you sort of yeah. What you I'm are, saying is you are the Jews it, didn't put not. the plagues on the Egyptians. The Jews didn't do that. They weren't waging a war. It was God performing those miracles. We have to deal with you know that's God. That's a separate issue. We're discussing the Jewish nation. <laughs> the, what did the Jewish nation do? Did they loot? Did they get reparations from the Egyptians? That's, that's the issue. As, you know, in that monetary sense. What God did, that's a whole different question. But you're right, by the way, that one of them is G. I, I, I think these people would say, look, we'd prefer not to resort to looting either. No, we'd, we'd, we'd prefer not to do plagues. So we've we, done, we, no, we've we limited. <laughs> we've only done the looting. So... So, yeah, we'd uh, like God. We we were slaves for many years. We'd like God to come along and help us too. <laughs> well, I would think if it were looting, it would happen in the darkness. I think that word looting. Yeah, so I'm gonna point that out. Yes, uh, looting is, did not happen. Clearly, taking I put it down. You look at the Bible. It's my last. Well, I know, okay? and that's the, no the looting, statement that could be political. Political. No, I'm saying no <laughs> looting took place. That's you no know, for all these reasons. No, I, I have not one, two, three. I don't. I, I think the so looting eight, could have taken place in the darkness if they were quote unquote looting. Now, whether or not they asked them, they required the silver of them or something. They didn't loot it to leave with it. What they did with it, I think we could discuss. And but there was no looting. Yes, there was the no looting, breaking windows and taking correct. big screen TVs. That's for sure. Right. The question is, but if they did something but illegal, if they did that, would that have been? No, I'm saying if they did something, that's, that then would be proved to us that it is acceptable. That's my so issue here. Meaning, not doing it, uh, no, it's no, but the issue here is maybe did they, if they did something with a subterfuge, meaning if they went, if they stole it from the Egyptians, so that might be tantamount to looting. I mean, they're, they're doing something illegal to get a hold of their big screen TVs, uh, the Egyptian big screen TVs. So okay, so okay, so you just had ten plagues. You're in Egypt. You're an Egyptian. You just had ten plagues, and somebody in your house nine died. Nine at this point. Okay, or okay. Yeah. Isn't it almost That's close to, I know, isn't it almost close to saying, hey, you know, hey, yeah, I know you got that silver set in there. How can they say no at that point? You're no, right, I'm it's still not looting. It's very different than, the point is, it's very different than, first of all, by the way, this is a side point which we didn't bring up, which is, when I'm smashing this liquor store in Ferguson, I mean, the, the owner is also black, like most of the cases, and he didn't do anything wrong to me. This guy did nothing wrong. No, no, anything. No, no. Right. But I haven't necessarily checked the deed records to see that it's a black owner. Yeah, yeah it was. The liquor store it you're actually, talking about was the, he's not. Almost all the business is destroyed in Ferguson. Well, I understand yeah. that. But For if black I'm owned. looting, I'm not saying. Yes, I understand. Wait, that's the point. The, let me check the ownership So records. that's the point. If you're saying I have a right to loot, 
So then you have to go to the proper source to get your reparations. You can't just pick anyone and just take their money. I mean, you know, yes, we you know go do it in the well, proper way. Doesn't isn't in my mind connected to reparations. Looting to me is more about chaotic Anarchy. vandalism. Hundred percent. Right. What we're saying is maybe looting is is a right. Maybe you do have a right because I'm owed reparations and the American government is not giving it to me. Maybe I do have a right to go and loot. That's the question. That's part of the question on the table. I'm I got bad education. They want a horrible thing of the system. I can't get a job. I mean, I'm I'm just saying. So it's my right. I I agree. (laughs) But but if they were, I don't. I agree. I think right. the people that are there are there for an easy buck, and, and most of them are. And are there the to vandalize right. and to lose. But, but if there were somebody there, let's say Ferguson, and I don't know because I haven't done, but let's say Ferguson was horrible in the education and African Americans uh-huh. were left back. If somebody said, you know what, this is. But if they go to the Oriental that owns it, I don't think they're allowed. You know, if they go to the. They've got to go to the. White people who wrong white them, guy right. who's been here, people you know, who, who, who have wronged them, right? To do it, and then I think maybe you could argue, okay, you'd have a case, but I don't think these people in this picture are worried about anything picture. except right. getting because it's oh, by the way, right. if you notice, there's I, I, actually two white people and there's more, there's, so there's three white people in the back. Yeah, there are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, what are they getting reparations for? He does look really happy. Well, he got a good picture. I know. I mean, hey, okay. Nike Airs are 120 bucks, get them for free. Yeah. 120, that was you behind the times. <laughs> oh, I'm cheap? Yeah, it was cheap. Well, I think they're number one. <laughs> what? Um, 120 bucks? You haven't done sneaker shopping recently? Have you? No, I haven't. I've gone with my son. <laughs> it's like more than my car. It's more than my Corolla. Okay, so so uh, so so this is... I forgot one point I want to mention. So, so the point is, yeah, so there's, there's clearly a difference between looting and reparations, 100%. I agree with you. The question again is but one is the right to loot, the right to reparations, and then maybe even a right to loot. So that's the question really what took place here. So again, we have Josephus is saying it was gifts that the Egyptians bestowed upon them. Again, like David pointed out, like, like uh, Scott pointed out, that it's after plagues. So it's not really exactly gifts out of love. Um, but still, but it was, but it's still technically <coughs> a gift, meaning they didn't go and steal it. Friendship, which is similar, obviously had a similar issue. Fear, so that was uh, again, um, it's really a lot of these overlap. In the Wait, sense these A through I are reasons. Different commentaries that I found that apply different reasons as to what was that. Okay. As to the background of what, what, sorry, what was the background of what the Jews were taking? Was it stealing? Was Got it? Okay, reparations, like I said, like I just read, Ruben Bachi says very clearly, it's for the purpose of their work that they worked for 210 years of slavery. Um, property swept, which this is interesting, because again, this leads back to what we were just discussing, which I found, it's actually on this week's parasha, fascinating. This week's parasha is the story of Joseph um, and his whole economic plan. So Joseph's economic plan, and um, some people say it was a terrible plan, because it took advantage of the people, his economic plan for Egypt to get through the seven years of famine. Again, this was 300 years before this story happened, this story. Joseph's plan, his economic plan, the Torah says, was he told Pharaoh that you, the farmers didn't have, couldn't survive. So during the famine years, they bought up, the government basically bought up all the land, and the farmers became the sharecroppers of the government. And that's how the, the Egyptian society survived, that the government had all this money, and then when it came, um, 
I'm not sure if they bought it during the years of plenty. I don't remember exactly, but whatever it was, the Egyptian government ended up owning all the land, and the, all the farmers of Egypt were sharecropper, sharecroppers to the government. They didn't really own their land anymore. So the, I saw a commentary points out, why does the Torah have to make mention of that? Who cares about Joseph's economic plan, what's relevant? So he says the reason why the Torah mentions it is because at this point, when now the Jews are coming for their reparations, they're coming to take the gold and silver, this exact question that you just mentioned is what, what right the government enslaved them. The people of Egypt didn't enslave the, the Jews were building the pyramids. They were building, they were enslaved by the Egyptian government. So if they're coming to borrow gold and silver from your average Joshua neighbor, citizen, what right did they have to do that? That's their reparations. The reparations have to come from the government, not from the citizenry. So, so he points out, no, the reason why they had a right to go to the citizenry because everything, all the, all, everything was owned by the government. <coughs> it was a socialist society. And the people owned nothing, or communist society. People didn't really have any, nothing belonged to them. So he says that's why they had a right to take the gold and silver, even of the citizens. In Egypt? In Egypt. Is that true? That it was a communist because, society? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't say use the word communist, but the point is, there were, everything was owned by the motherland. All the real estate was owned by the motherland. Uh, so again, it's still the real estate. It was great, and the government took 10, 15 percent of Joseph. They stocked everything up, and then when they, they bought all the empty, they came back, and they there was no crop to sell. So the first year he took the livestock, and the second year he took the whatever. And, the th and so the by the seventh year, the government owned everything, everything okay. and the people. And I think it's is that is it say still till this day. That's how it is. It no, uh, I mean they don't. It's really not till this day. No, no, the, the government owns pretty much everything. They, they no, I'm saying not contemporary times. I don't, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the Egyptian yeah, government. Right. There's been five governments in the last few years. But actually, by the way, I, I've, and I printed it out, but I, I don't have it here. I thought I printed it out. Um, the, there was in, in 2003, I was doing a search on the internet, and you can search it. So it was, um, there was a, a, an Egyptian, again, went to court, tried to go to The Hague to to sue the Some Jewish people to, for reparations for the yeah. money that was stolen. <laughs> actually, I interviewed the guy, so there's a, a printed out, I didn't bring it, didn't fit on the paper here. Um, so they interviewed this guy who was uh, making this court case. Basically the same, same exact court case, he was doing it over. I guess he didn't know, Talmud says this already happened in history. But if you search it, his name was, and it comes up. So he interviewed him and he explains this, and it says in their own Torah, they took our gold and silver. <coughs> and he was looking for reparations. Um, so we're going to crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, more crazy than the, that the American Indian. statue of limitations. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, he said, he, in the interview, actually, you have to find it. Can you search it? Yeah. He, he says there's no statute of limitations at that time. And that rule wasn't in place, so there's no statute of limitations. So he, uh, Egyptian he makes that was argument. selling, I mean, was Egyptian suing who? suing Jewish people. Just put that in and we'll see it. We'll come up. Um, you keep going. I'll look. Yeah, I'm going. Well, so does it, so then do are we going to say as Jews that that he he doesn't have it's he's not telling the truth? You understand what I'm saying? No, I mean, he our defenses. He is he telling, telling the truth. truth. The question well, is, with, so the argument is that we get the reparations for 210 years of slavery. That's the argument. That's the counter argument. Yeah. So he's Egyptian not doing jurists to sue the Jews for compensation for trillions of tons of gold allegedly stolen during Exodus from Egypt. 2003. Since the Jews make various demands of the Arabs and the world and claim rights that they base on historical and religious sources, a group of Egyptians in Switzerland has opened the case of the so-called Great Exodus of the Jews from the Pharaonic 
Egypt. At that time, they stole from the Pharaonic Egyptians gold, jewelry, cooking utensils, silver, blah, blah, leaving Egypt in the middle of the night with all this wealth, which today is priceless. It's in the bed. Priceless. <laughs> which, by the way, a defense to that case is not we were enslaved. You have to strike that at not as a defense, but as an affirmative defense, and bring your own action. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't help you. Right. You'd have to bring your own? Well, you'd have, to, you'd, have, you'd have to, to cross-play. Mm. You can't just you'd say, say well, you, that you was there, so, so we, were, we were entitled. You'd have mm -hmm. to say, if, if you're going to go down that road, you have to say, we have a cross-action against you. Yeah, but not, not only so how did you make that? Gold, but you owe us. You only paid us for 90 years. Right. right. We want the other 100 like years. If, if we owe you, you know, 1 billion, you owe us 2 trillion. Yes. I know, but I would make the argument, you could, based on what we're saying, is they were saying, no, we, we didn't take it. That was our reparations. We were paid. That was a payment of reparations to us at the time. It was a down payment, because now you still <laughs> okay, owe us so That would be a, maybe a counter argument. Um, so there's a lot. So first of all, so that's what other else we don't want to run out of time here. So property swap. So that's this property swap was based on the items were given in exchange for Israelite property. Meaning, the Jews living in Egypt during the 210 years, even though they were slaves, they started out in Goshen, a separate area which we mentioned last week, the ghetto, Jewish ghetto in Egypt. So they they owned real estate. So when they left Egypt, um, they were leaving all their real estate. So this other interpretation of France says it was a property swap. We are leaving you our real estate, and your kid there gave us gold and silver as. As a payment for the real estate. Did we really yeah, but that, yeah, gosh, you, I mean, that given you can't make a unilateral declaration. You have to have, you know, if I'm taking your gold and silver, I don't get the I don't get the next day say, by the way, you got my property. I know. So we, we have yes, to have so an, we, we have to have, a, the way I understand have, to have an accord. Yes, the way I understand that's what he's a, saying. He's saying that it was an agreed upon exchange. Gold and silver was exchanged. But I haven't seen anything in any yeah. of this that says that there was such an accord. Yeah, the, that's all he's telling you the back behind the scenes of what's going on. That's the question. <laughs> well, but I see a lot of in front of the scenes. You don't get yeah. to later, as I often say to people who come here with deals, you don't get to make up shit. No, but this <laughs> that, is not. This is that not you in say the, uh, was, no, was really the subtext. That's why. This is commentary on the That's why real estate agreements are very clear. Everything must be in writing. So that you can't later claim we had an understanding that David told me if I did this. No, this, so this, this is this, not the debt. So would be I hear you understand what you're saying. This is not. We're not saying this is the claim in the court of law. What we're saying is, question is something. We have the story of the Torah. There was a story that happened. Right. There was a story that happened in the Torah, and we need to understand what what was going on here. Was it reparations? Was it looting? Was it a gift? Was it? So one of the interpretations that I found was he saying it was a land swap. Listen, it doesn't say it in you 100 percent. Then he's assuming there was contract, contractual exchange of uh, property. Obviously, we don't have those contracts. Um, so at this moment, we don't know. What exactly? There's nothing clear about whether God is allowing us to loot. So if we loot, <laughs> it is up in the air. Uh, yes. God has not yes. clarified you it for us. You for sure cannot loot. <laughs> you know, I'm, you seeing some, I'm seeing you some wiggle here, wiggle room for looting. Yes. Okay. okay. So I just want to end up. So one of the last ones, the spoils of war. Some view it with an act of war, and just like in any words, what you were mentioning, the Torah clearly in an act of when there's a war and you're the victor, um, you have a right to 
take the booty. That's what we're discussing. And that's before. what my question was: is in, when God says, "Okay, go in and take it," does He use the word loot, or does He, you know, here what it just is says, those words? That's the problem. God used the word borrow, and that's well that's here. Huge. But I mean, in yeah. general, when you go to war, or like uh, no, it the, says the, the spoils. Dino, it's called the booty. To, it was last week. Did, was it? Booty was that, or spoils? Did, oh, and that would be interesting too, because did Shem and did and that was a war. That was an act. Well, when they killed all the people and they did it without the quote unquote permission, I want to know what that word was. Was it did they loot? No, did they take spoils. everyone. It says just, that they took the spoils. Booty. Well, I, I want to run out of time. So the last one, by the way, Ibn Ezra says his commentary says, "Was everyone bothered by a question?" He says, "God told him to do it." He says, he says, God is the owner of all as gold and silver in the world. And no one really owns anything. It all belongs to God. He has a right to take it from this person and give it to that person. God, he said it was a commandment of God. So that's the non-justification. There's no need to justify it. God, uh, I mean, which is it's in a greater sense when we talk about ethics. Who gets to decide what's ethical and what's not ethical? Right, so in Judaism... I have a little deeper question than that. Who gets to decide who God spoke to. Right. Because the a lot of people out people there are say, stealing, God, God, saying, God spoke to me, right. say, then stealing the wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> take the big 62 inch, not the 50, go for the yeah, big one. That's what I was talking to me. Right, so, so again, obviously, again, where the assumption here is, given here is that God, the Torah was written by God. So God, what the Torah is saying is God commanded Moshe, tell them to take it. So they, that's it. He says, why do we have to justify it? God is saying, this is okay. Just like, and, and this is, comes up in many places in the Torah, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. We look at that and it's horrific. But if God says it, you got to do it. So again, you're right. How do, who gets to define those? So this is a general question, Jewish ethics, but who get, or even in the secular world, who gets to define what's ethical and what's not ethical? So what he's saying is, listen, God is saying this was ethical, it's ethical. Don't ask questions. Uh, you know, Don't ask this questions. is a little bit morbid, but... Many deeply, not that there's so many, but did some deeply psychotic individuals have okay, killed their spoken. children. Yes, 100%. God spoke to me. Right, 100%. That, so, that woman in, in, the bathtub. in Texas. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a really yeah, no. slippery line that Again, God, this is not God, individual God spoke here. to me and said, this is, 52 uh, inch TV. Gold vessels. I need gold vessels. No, the, by the, the way, I'm leaving is, you my property. The difference is, this is not some. This is not some woman in Clear Lake who's saying I spoke to. Her. It's Moses. Moses in the Torah. Yeah, but this woman would right. say a hundred thousand years from now, I'm going to be the new Moses. I understand, right. but the question is, you no. Know, if we believe the Torah is a God-written document, God is documenting what happened. Uh -huh. So it's not some woman in Clear Lake. There's a big difference there. But, but so uh, then we but, should assume God's not talking to anyone. Now. We can't yes, trust anyone. 100%. Yes. So God is not speaking to For anyone. Sure. Okay. He doesn't except speak to me. Right. He doesn't speak to me. Except the book 2,000 years ago. Except the Torah, which Several which different. Well, that's a different question. But I'm saying that the given here of all these commentaries is everyone believes that it's a God written back. Of course. Um, you might not believe it, but everyone here, right. that's the assumption. That's the given. So I just want to end off with, I found this commentary who's more, not contemporary, but this book was written actually in 1953, which well, was a year. As is Mike Huckabee, who said, who has openly said, well, no, I think he is waiting for God. No, I think he is <laughs> waiting. Michelle I, I think he's waiting for Michelle Bachman and others. They really are waiting. They're waiting for the word. I, 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 I think that's really unfair. I think they think they've already gotten the word. 
They're just I waiting think, to tell us. Right. Did they? I don't think they're waiting. Because you often read about they're praying. George Bush talked about it. he prayed about before he, right. he took certain actions. Well, I assume if he prayed, if it wasn't a one-way street. If he prayed, he was getting some, you know, the line was open both ways. Otherwise, why bother praying? Okay, let him. Okay, tell us the contemporary. Let me finish. Finish this one. So this is this was a book written in Hebrew. It was translated in, in the 90s, but originally written, I believe, in 1953, which was a year after the that story in the Knesset that we started with, which was that the Knesset approved reparations from Germany. So he says on this verse, on this discussion, says here, um, not implies a request. Why did God have to ask Israel to borrow silver and gold? Did they, did they so abhor wealth? So the Medrash explains, and he discusses what we said, he says the question, so he says the question stood unresolved until modern times. With the Allied victory at the end of the Second World War, the issue arose of reparations for Jewish property stolen and destroyed in Germany, and wherever else the cursed Nazis tread as they murdered over six million European Jews. The question of whether to accept such reparations divided the Jewish people. Some argued, shall our murderers inherit us? Which was the words of Menachem Begin, he doesn't say that here, but that's Menachem Begin said, Basically, you're, you know, you, they're going to inherit us. Others said the Jewish people must never negotiate with these evildoers. Why should the nation say we have taken ransom for our brethren whose blood was shed like water? Basically, it's blood money. Now, now we are more capable of understanding our ancestors' feelings before leaving Egypt. As he's saying after the Holocaust, we can relate to what happened then. There were, to be sure, many among them whose children had been killed by the Egyptians, but no interest whatsoever in negotiating with their torturers and murderers. As for the wealth they stood to receive, they considered it like ransom for their children who had been cast to the river or used as building materials in the walls of Pitom and Ramses, the, the pyramids. They favored taking nothing. Others argued that Israel reserved compensation for two, 210 years of slave labor. So he's saying this was the argument of amongst the Jews at the time when they were leaving Egypt. God understood the Jews' bitterness and rage over their children slaughtered to provide blood for Pharaoh's bath. Hence, he did not command B'nai Israel to take their neighbor's silver and gold vessel. He only asked them to. Despite their hesitation to, touch, to, their hesitation to touch it, God still had to fulfill his promise to Abraham, lest he say God fulfilled the part of their becoming slaves, but not the part of their attaining great possessions. So he's making that analogy, a very nice analogy, between the same argument that was, took place in the state of Israel in 1952, whether the Jews should take reparations from the Germans. He says that's the same argument that took place at that time amongst the Egyptians. Shalom.